Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. It's good seeing you today, and those of you who are joining us online, we're glad that you've joined us. And I hope you heard the announcement about our Christmas Eve, 2, 4, and 6. And, uh, and we do need you to sign up for that. Uh, you do that on the website. And uh, our 4 o'clock service will be a live stream as well. And, you know, normally we do communion uh, at Christmas Eve. We're not going to do that this year. But the Sunday before Christmas Eve, we will have communion in our Sunday morning services. And uh, that's always a very special time. <clears throat> so come prepared for that. Well, we are starting a, a four-week series talking about, and, and he shall be called. Uh, it's going out of Isaiah chapter 9, uh, and, and it's the different names of Jesus that Isaiah talks about and gives to him. And so we're going to unpackage those names. Uh, so today I'm, I'm going to kind of lay the ground, the foundation of what we'll be dealing with. Uh, but let's begin with the scripture. Now, I've got to go ahead and tell you, um, this is a message I worked on uh, all through the weekend with Thanksgiving and the family was here. I uh, didn't finish up until Saturday. And so I didn't have time for the team to have all the scripture to put on the screen. Uh, so if you'll take in your notes to write down the passages I am using, you can go and look those up later. Uh, they do have the main passage uh, which is the one we're going to build off of today. And that's Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. So let's turn to there and let's see what the, God's word has for us today. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Now that's the one we're going to deal with today. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end, has no term. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor, David, for all eternity. And the passionate commitment of the Lord of a heaven's armies will make this happen. So when you see a phrase like that, the passionate commitment of the Lord of, of heaven's armies, that's a sure thing. It's a done deal. It's going to happen. God is going to make sure that it happens. So you would be a wise person to make decisions in your life based on this truth that this is what's going to happen. Now, you know, politics and government... Uh, we, we tend to look at those as kind of like the necessary evils. Uh, they're both frustrating, but sometimes they bring us hope. Uh, but a lot of times they just, you know, just frustrate us to death and irritate us. And sometimes someone will come along and we'll have some confidence in and, and then, then we lose confidence. I mean, this just continues. It's a continual cycle. And our contradictory attitude about politics are revealing. I mean, we, we realize the failure of human solutions. And at the same time, we know something's got to be done to fix what ails us as a country. We, we're desperate for something to be done. 
And we live in a broken world and a broken country at times. And the reality is man cannot do it. The human race cannot do it. But God has done it. And he has done it by giving us the Messiah. And, and so this, you know, Isaiah 9, 6 is one of the most familiar Old Testament passages of prophecy about the birth of Jesus. Unfortunately, we seem to only bring it out of its box during the holidays, you know, like, kind of like an ornament that we put up on the tree. And, and then we forget the reality of these verses the rest of the year. And this this single, these single two verses are rich in truth. And it's something that needs to, it needs to dig deep into our heart and our soul. And it needs to become a foundation for us as we face life, make decisions about life, and as we face our issues. Now, we're still waiting for the full realization of the kingdom of God. And uh, the promised Messiah. I mean, he did come 2,000 years ago, but he's going to come back. And that's when all of this prophecy is going to be fulfilled in Isaiah 9, 6. And so Isaiah wrote this prophecy. Well, he, he wrote it about 100 years before Israel was taken into captivity by Babylon, which was uh, uh, 600 years before Jesus was born. So th this passage is written about six, 700 years before Christ. And, and you can just look, as you read through scripture, there's the litany of failed monarchs and, and failed kingdoms just time and time again. And, and there just seems to be this rubble of Israel's failures of trying to manage themselves. And Isaiah looks across these six or seven centuries, and he sees the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. Just like you and I watch the failings of one politician after another and all the messes that we deal with, not just in our country, but in other countries around the world, and you and I can look down the road and see what is going to happen. Not a maybe or not a hope so. It is going to happen. What was said in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. It's going to take place. And he says a child will be born to us. Now that has happened. And that's underscoring the humanity of Jesus. He came as a human being. He lived as a child so that he could endure the temptations that men and women face, yet he did it without sin. It says a son is given to us. That implies his deity, his son, God's son. So he is God himself. He is the second person of the Trinity. In, uh, in Philippians chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 6 and 7, listen to this. Though he was God... He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, Jesus gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. 
That's our Messiah. He came as the Son of God, God in human flesh, and he conquered sin, and he conquered death. And that's why you and I have incredible hope. And that's why I can trust what the Bible says about what's yet to happen. And then it tells me that the government is going to rest upon his shoulders. His invisible kingdom will become visible. And so what, what is this kingdom? <laughs> what is it going to be like? What distinguishes the Messiah's kingdom from all the other kingdoms of the world? I mean, the names that Israel uh, used for Christ, that Isaiah used for Christ, is a hint of these four characteristics and we're going to take each of these four names given in Isaiah, and we're going to dig deep into them Sunday for the next four Sundays. And today we're going to look at this very first one, Wonderful Counselor. And, and, and to lay a foundation even for that, we kind of got to back up just for a second. This Jesus, this child that was born... He was born to the nation of Israel, but he was born for all of mankind. And he was born to one of the covenant people, to the covenant people, the Jewish nation. And why were the Jews the covenant people? One simple reason. God chose them. Not because they deserve it. God just did it. It's kind of like, well, why did God make sure that you would hear about Jesus? Because he decided you were worth it. He loved you. He loved you enough to make sure you heard about Jesus and what he did for you. In Zechariah 14.9, it says, The Lord will be king over all the earth. So even in the Old Testament, it was talking about an event yet to happen. It says, And on that day there will be one Lord, and his name alone will be worshipped. And the New Testament lets us know that that name will be worshipped in heaven and on earth and in hell. His name alone will be worshipped. That's who our Savior is. And I like this phrase, the government will rest upon his shoulders. He will have this kingly robe that is on his shoulders that represents that he is king, he is royalty, and, and that he will be responsible to govern not just us, but the entire universe. That's amazing. The government will rest on his shoulders, and here's, here's what makes him different from any other leader. His shoulders can handle it. You, you know, when someone becomes president of the United States, a huge burden is put on their shoulders. And I think that's one of the reasons why the Bible tells us to pray for our elected officials. There is such a huge burden placed on their shoulders. And uh, especially of the United States, you know, often they're called the leader of the free world. What a burden. Because when you're president, you're president 24-7. You don't get to take a break from it. If something happens, they wake you up. If you're on vacation, you come home. I, I mean, it's, it's going to happen. You've got to deal with it. 
And, and those of you who have lived long enough, if you're like me, you have watched one president after another age very quickly during those four to eight years, right? I mean, when you look at a picture at the beginning of the four years or the eight years, and you look at a picture at the end, you would go, wow, they have really aged. The burden of what's upon their shoulders. When I um, was preparing this message, I realized and learned that you really could tell the whole story of the Bible from the shoulders of the human race. Here's just some. Uh, the book of Genesis, the two sons of Noah, uh, they covered their shoulders with a garment and walked backwards towards their, the nakedness of their father who was drunk to cover his shame. They carried a burden on their shoulders to protect their dad. Abraham, when he dismissed Hagar and her child Ishmael from the, from the home, he laid upon her shoulder bread and water to sustain them. The story of Eliezer, uh, when he went to Mesopotamia to find a bride for Isaac, he stood at the well and he saw this beautiful woman come with a pitcher of water on her shoulder, and that's how he knew that she was the one. In the story of the exodus of God's people out of the darkness of Egypt of 400 years of slavery and the Passover night, they stood ready. And in Exodus 12, 34, it says, the Israelites took their bread dough before yeast was added. They wrapped their kneading boards in their cloaks and carried them on their shoulders. They carried their provisions on their shoulders. The Spirit of God fell upon two servants and they were called to make the garments of glory and beauty for the high priest. And on either side of the shoulder were these oxen, uh, these onyx stones engraved with the children of the tribes of Israel that were carried on their shoulders. When instructions from heaven was given concerning the tabernacle where God resided, the Holy of Holies, uh, they were told that everything could be carried in the wagons except the Ark of the Covenant and the golden art, uh, altar of incense and the seven-branched lampstand and the golden table of showbread, they had to be carried on the shoulders because they were holy and sacred. In fact, there was a time when the Philistines who had taken the Ark of the Covenant and they put it in a wagon and Uzzah touched the ark to protect it from falling and the wrath of God struck him dead and the ark because the ark was to be carried upon the shoulders of men and God would not stand for a violation of that in the story of the book in Joshua when they entered into the promised land Joshua told them to go into the middle of the Jordan River and in the front of the ark of the Lord that was carried on their shoulders each of them were to pick up one stone and carry it on their shoulder, 12 stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And they would use these stones to build a monument, a memorial, and the future children would ask, what do these stones mean? And they would tell the story of God. One of the saddest, most tragic, dramatic stories in the Bible is the story of Samson, who 
bore on his shoulders the gates of Gaza and carried them all the way to Hebron. And later when he had had his hair cut and he lost his power and his eyes were gouged out and he was tied to a uh, grinding mill and he was presented as a spectacle before the people to laugh at and mock his God in the house of Dagon where he was the, the false God that they worshiped. And he's asked the Lord, say, Lord, let me one more time. Will you stand with me? And he bowed his shoulders and pulled down the temple of the false God, destroying the ones who had imprisoned him. And we go on and on and on. And you see these stories of the shoulders of men and women. And we see the shoulders of Jesus. And the Bible tells us that God put on the shoulders of Jesus the sins of humanity. He carried on his shoulders the cross to Calvary. And as his hands and his feet were nailed into that cross... He had upon his shoulders your sins and mine. Now the Bible tells me that one day the entire government, the administration of the universe is going to be placed upon his shoulders. And for the first time in all of history, the government will be in the hands of someone, on the shoulders of someone who can actually do it. For the first time in all of history, of every president we've ever had, of every king that's ever lived, the government of the universe will be placed on the shoulders. The administration of the universe will be placed on the shoulders of someone who can handle it. And he will do it for eternity. Well, listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. It says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Let that one sink in. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. You see, Satan goes around blinding as many people as he can to the truth of who this Jesus is. He blinds humanity with hopelessness about the future of this world. I was watching a special uh, about uh, SpaceX and the desire to go to Mars and several people in that documentary made the statement, the only way the human race can survive is that we form a colony on Mars. And I immediately thought to myself, they haven't read the Bible. The only hope for humanity is for Jesus Christ to come to have upon his shoulders the universe and he alone can bring salvation 
He alone can put all the broken pieces back together. He alone can take a life that's been shattered by sin and bring it back and make it whole. He alone can bring justice. He alone can bring hope. He alone brings truth. So the prophecy tells us that someday God will take the government of the universe from the God of this world and shall give it to Jesus. Revelation eleven fifteen. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices shouting in heaven, The world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and, and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that day when there is no more political parties. I'm looking forward to that day when there will be no more political conventions. I'm looking forward to that day where there are no more political polls that are never right anyway. I'm looking forward to that day when there is no political advertisements. I'm telling you, I'm glad I'm not going to be living in Georgia for the next month. Can you imagine the inundation of advertisement they're going to have for the next month and prior to this runoff election? I'm looking forward to the day where there is no more elections because the one will be, putting, be put on his throne and he'll be there for all eternity. And so when we look at these names of this wonderful savior, he's called wonderful, which means exceptional, distinguished. He's called a wonderful counselor. And the people will gladly listen to him as the authoritative one. And in the kingdom, when so many people will be anxious to hear, I don't know about you, it's easy to get anxious to hear truth. This kingdom that Jesus is going to bring will be free from confusion because he is a wonderful counselor. Even when he was here on earth, in his first incarnation, he always had the right word to speak to someone who was seeking truth. He always had the right words to use to rebuke one that needed to be rebuked. His words were always wise because he was wonderful. Every now and then a political person comes onto the scene who seems to possess Messiah-like qualities. In fact, we're told that there is one yet to come that people will see him as the Messiah, but he will be the Antichrist. Some come and they're able to speak incredibly with eloquence and people are drawn to them. Some come with charisma. We've had that before. We have come who do have wisdom and, and, and they seem to know what to do. However, when you compare the greatest social and political leader with Jesus Christ, there is no comparison at all. None whatsoever. Even his enemies, when Jesus would speak, said, we have never heard anyone speak like this. As God, Christ is the source of all truth. In fact, he said, I am the way, the truth. You see, Jesus doesn't know the truth. He is the truth. He is the truth. 
You know, many of our politicians, they turn everywhere else for counsel. They'll turn to other politicians. They will turn to opinion polls. They will turn to special interest groups. They will turn to their own psychologists or psychiatrists or analysts or philosophers. They will turn to their own spiritual advisors, their own. <laughs> we even had some who follow astrology. You remember when President Ronald Reagan, there was the assassination attempt and he was shot. It was later reported that his wife, Nancy Reagan, turned to astrology for the rest of their time in the White House in an attempt to protect her husband. Before he was allowed to go on any trip or leave the White House, she would consult astrology, the stars, to tell her whether it was safe or not for him to leave. And many times trips were canceled, canceled because she got bad signs from the stars. Can you imagine that? The president of the United States schedule was determined by astrology. But our king of kings, this wonderful counselor, he keeps his own counsel. In Isaiah 40, 13, the Bible says, who is able to advise the spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him advice or teach him? He doesn't look to the stars. He created the stars. He doesn't look to man. He created mankind. He doesn't look to anything else for he is the creator of everything else. And this Messiah is the wonderful counselor because he is God. He is the source of truth. And when he rules the earth, there will be no uncertainty in his administration. He will never contradict himself. He will never say what is politically correct. He will say truth. You know, as part of the invitation to Dot today, I want to invite you to take out a piece of paper and write a note to God and simply say, God, I hereby resign as the general manager of the universe. In fact, maybe you should say, God, I hereby resign as the general manager of my own life. I give it to you. He will gladly accept it. So if you're tired and worn out, if this year was enough to just slap wear you out, listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 11. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary, all of you who carry a heavy burden, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. That's the same thing as saying, put my yoke on your shoulders. Let me teach you. Because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Now, here's why he said that. In the old days of the oxen, 
They would have that yoke that was for two oxen. And it would lay upon the shoulders of both oxen and they would share the load. And so when Jesus invites you to take his yoke upon you, there's two places, one for you and one for him. Guess who carries the load? Anything that's on the shoulders of Jesus, he carries the load. So he's basically inviting you to come along for the ride. You don't carry a load when you take the yoke of Jesus because he's carrying it. He invites you to come along with him in the journey. And he's saying, look, my yoke is easy to bear. It's light. Why? Because he's carrying it. So he's not putting the burden of the universe on you. He's inviting you to join him as he carries the universe on his shoulders. He invites you to be a part of his journey. In fact, he invites you to rule with him. So the day is coming when the universe will be ruled by Jesus and you and I as believers will rule alongside of him. But in the meantime, he does have something for our shoulders. He told us, all authority is mine, Now go and make disciples. That's what he has placed upon our shoulders. But he, again, did not place it there and we have to carry it alone. He gave us his Holy Spirit. He he said, I am with you always. I have given you my spirit, my Holy Spirit. God himself is living in you. And I want to tell you, when God is in you, when the Holy Spirit is in you, there is any, you can carry any burden and it's going to be light because he's the one that's doing the carrying. It's kind of like when you had your little kid and you were doing some yard work and he wanted to help or she wanted to help. And you would let them hang on to something like they're carrying it with you. But you carried the burden of it. And their hands were just there hanging on. That's God and that's you. And you're the little kid. God's carrying the burden. So you don't have to. And when he tells you, spend the rest of your life making disciples. But I'm carrying the burden of it. My spirit, I've given to you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You don't do this alone. I do it through you. So will you accept his invitation to bring your tired, worn out life and give it to him? Let's pray.